Um, our first reading from Exodus chapter 3, um, verse 1 to 15. Um, now Moses was tending the flock of Jephro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, Here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have seen, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the land of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the lands into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians were oppressing them. So now go on. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to the Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be here, I will be with you, and this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name you shall call me from generation to generation. Now if I was to ask you what the strangest thing you've ever seen was, I wonder what you'd say. In fact, what would you say? What's the strangest thing you've ever seen? Do you know, it's harder than you think. I tried to think about what the strangest thing I'd ever seen was, and I really just couldn't think of anything unusual. But um, then I thought, I wonder how many people have seen a burning bush? And then I thought, well, actually, that's a daft question, because I'm sure we've probably seen a burning bush, be it on the news when there's been bushfires or whatever. That isn't that abnormal. But how many of you have ever, ever seen a burning bush that doesn't actually burn up? That is unusual. And especially if it then began to speak to you, or at least God spoke through it. So how many people have seen a burning bush that didn't speak, that didn't actually burn up, that God spoke to you? Nope, I didn't think so. It would be rather strange if we had. And this situation that Moses found himself in was incredibly strange and unusual. But it goes to show that God can do anything. He chooses to call all sorts of people to carry out his plans. And in doing so, some of the most dramatic miracles we read about in the Bible happen when he's preparing his people to, for major tasks 
or when he's convincing other people that the person he's chose is right for the job. So today, we're thinking about when God spoke to Moses, asking him to lead his people out of captivity. And to get his attention, he spoke out of a burning bush. Now, God will often get our attention by causing uncommon things to occur. We may call them coincidences, but they're not mere chance events. They're God's way of tapping us on the shoulder and saying, listen to what I've got to say. So God had Moses' attention, and he spoke to him, telling him to take off his sandals as he was on holy ground. Having experienced the burning bush moment, the conversation that then happened between Moses and God is incredibly fascinating. It's one of those conversations that we'd imagine ourselves having with God. The kind of thing that when we feel like God is asking us to do something, we expect all the details to be sorted out. And we want to know exactly what's going to happen. And we find that God's plan for us is perhaps a little bit harder than that. He simply asks us to take the first steps. But you see, God had chosen Moses, and there were loads of things that had led Moses to this moment. Moses was born a Hebrew who were the slaves in Egypt, but he was raised in the Pharaoh's household. He learned of his Hebrew heritage, but Moses killed an Egyptian taskmaster when he saw him beating a Hebrew slave. He fled to Midian, where he realised people knew of the murder, and he married and became a shepherd, so we're told. God took 40 years to get Moses ready for this moment. He knows exactly what he's doing, and Moses is a key part of God's plan. The God who is, was, and always shall be had a plan for Moses. And now that Moses is ready... He makes sure he gets his full attention, like I said. And he says, don't come any closer. Take off your sandals, because the place you're standing is holy ground. It was important that Moses had a clear understanding from the start that he was dealing with God, and there was to be no compromise. Moses was immediately challenged to take God seriously. And God says to him that he's seen the suffering of the Israelites, and he says to him in verse 10, So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. And how did Moses respond to that? Well, with a load of questions and a load of excuses and a load of reasons as to why he's perhaps not the best person for the job. And the first excuse, or the first question, we read in verse 11. It says, but Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? So that's his first question. Who am I? Who am I? So who is Moses? We've already heard a little bit, but we know he's a Hebrew, safe from a pharaoh who's bent on genocide. He's the adopted child of that same pharaoh. He's had the best education, the best of everything in his upbringing. He trained for leadership in the court of the king. He had a passion for the oppressed. And he's aware that he is a Hebrew, And he knows that his people suffer as slaves, even though he's not a slave. He sees that they're broken, and they're broken by the very people who raised him. He made a terrible mistake, and he killed a man, and he ran away, and he's now a lowly shepherd. Moses is broken. 
His identity is shattered. He's retreated into himself, a stranger in a strange land, aware that his people not too far away are desperately suffering under the rule of the Egyptians. He heard their cries. He knows their suffering, but he's not chosen to do anything about it. But how does God answer Moses' question of who am I? He doesn't say things you might expect like, well, Moses, because of your good, rugged looks, your outstanding leadership skills, your ability to talk to burning bushes, I know that you're the man for this job. He doesn't do anything that is going to big up his ego. God answers in a very different way. He simply says, I will be with you. And this will be a sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you've brought the people out of Egypt, you'll worship God on this mountain. I will be with you. That's it. That's all he says to him. He doesn't, like I said, he doesn't massage his ego. He doesn't help him feel better about himself or good enough for such an important task. He doesn't do much at all to convince Moses that he's qualified for the job. Instead, God says, I will be with you. In other words, he didn't need anything else. He only needed God to be with him. In other words, his identity was bound up in God's. It's not about Moses. It's not about what Moses can or can't do. But it's all about God and what God can do through Moses. Like Moses, so often in life we can feel like we're not qualified to, feel, to follow God's call. We might feel inadequate because of past failures. We might think we're too old. We might think we're too young, but I guess that's not us in this room, is it? <laughs> but not to be insulting. <laughs> but um, we might excuse ourselves from God's call on our lives with whatever we think is a reasonable excuse. And in effect, we say to God, I'm not your man. But that's not how we should look at things. The most important question shouldn't be, who am I? Instead, the question that matters to us and that matters to God is who God is and how he wants to use us. We need to remember that we serve a God who can do anything, absolutely anything. He can create the world. He can heal people. He can put stars into space. He can move mountains that he created in the first place. And he can speak to one man through a burning bush. He can do, obviously, so much more than that. But my point is that he is God and we aren't. He can do anything. And when we open ourselves up to be used by God, when we truly give him full control of our lives, then he can do anything through us too. So it's not so much about who we are or who Moses was, but it's about who God is which is incidentally what Moses' next question was. He asked him, who are you? In verse 13, he says, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? And this could be taken a few different ways. It's either quite rude questioning who God is, or it shows that maybe Moses hadn't quite grasped exactly who he was talking to, and he was just wanting to make sure. But God's answer is that he is who he always has been and who he always will continue to be. He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the one who we can always trust. 
And we see here how God shows that our ignorance can be overcome when the God who is, was, and always shall be calls you and sends you. You see, God's briefing to Moses included his name, his plan, and what the outcome would be. So often, like I said before, we want all the answers before we step out in faith. But we need to realise that there might still be gaps in our knowledge because we have a limited understanding. But God knows what's what and what will or won't happen, and we need to trust him just as Moses eventually did. So Moses wasn't all that excited about God's calling. He questioned who it was he was talking to, and when he realised it was actually God, then he went on to make even more excuses. Excuse number one. What if they don't listen? Well, Exodus 4 um, verse 1 says, Moses answered, what if they don't believe me or listen to me um, and say the Lord did not appear to you? And of course, God had answers ready for that question. He told him to take a stick and to throw it on the ground and it had turned into a snake and then to pick it up again and it had turned back into a stick. He could make his hand appear to have leprosy and then have it fully restored again. He could take water out of the Nile, throw it on the ground and it would turn to blood. And that's things that he gave Moses so that he could show other people that he was really sent by God. And that's all well and good for Moses, right? But what's the equivalent for us here and now? What do we have? What proof do we have that God calls us and sends us? Well, sometimes God does use miracles, even today. But you see, actually Moses' job was simply to obey what God was telling him to do. And that's the same for us. We shouldn't worry what will happen when we do what God asks of us. God will take care of the results. And like Moses, we might think we can never make a difference because we're too busy focusing on the obstacles. We think about a whole load of things that might go wrong and we talk ourselves out of certain situations. But what we need to remember is that God sees the opportunities where we see obstacles. God gave those props to Moses, the snake, the hand, the blood, to give Moses the confidence that he needed Not to impress people, but to enable Moses to know and have the confidence that whatever situation he faced, he'd be okay. But Moses had another question. Um, What if I can't think of the words? Verse 10 says, Moses said to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord. I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. Like lots of people. Moses didn't want to talk in front of other people. And what was God's answer to that? Well, the Lord said to him, who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go and I will help you. I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. God would give him the words to say. God would enable him to complete the task set before him. He'd already prepared help in the form of Aaron to make up for anything Moses couldn't actually do. And it was together that they faced Pharaoh. Moses had his list of excuses, but none of them were enough to prevent God from using him. God told Moses he'd help him speak, and he'll help us too. I've heard it said God doesn't 
give us jobs we are fit for. He fits us for the jobs he gives us. I'll say that again because it's a bit of a tongue twister. (laughs) But God does not give us jobs we are fit for, but he fits us for the jobs that he gives us. So when the excuses um, that he was sure of didn't work, when he didn't have anything else to say, and God still wanted to be the what, him to be the one to go to Pharaoh, then he resorted to good old-fashioned begging. Please, Lord, send somebody else, is what he said next. And here's the thing. Maybe, just maybe, we're being a little bit harsh on Moses. Let's think about what God is actually asking of him. Moses has had an interesting life so far, and now he's living a secure, stable life as a shepherd. He's probably quite enjoying life, and then God comes and calls him to go and face Pharaoh. Pharaoh, who happens to be the most important man, and demand that he let millions of slaves go free. Slaves that the entire country of Egypt depend on for their livelihood. I can see that's going to go well, isn't it? But God calls Moses to challenge Pharaoh, to call his power and authority into question. And to leave millions of people who see him out as a traitor. That's some calling. No wonder he's got excuses. No wonder he says, why don't you send somebody else? And Moses, when Moses said that, God got quite angry. As he'd already prepared the help that Moses needed. He'd already equipped him to be able to prove who he is. Or at least who he's there on the behalf of. You see, the biggest problem was not of any practical arrangements about Moses going to speak to Pharaoh, but it's about Moses and his attitude himself. And God's answer to him is simply to start practicing his faith and stop debating it. Moses was an ordinary man in so many ways. He had an ordinary job. He lived in a small community. He had a, had a lavish life in Egypt, but now he lived anonymously without any real prospect of reuniting with his family. Moses chose to stay hidden away as a shepherd, even though he knew his people were suffering. But God also heard the cries of the Hebrews. God also knew their suffering, and God knew Moses. He knew his heart. He knew his passion. He knew his failures, plural. He knew all that he'd lost. But God knew that Moses was capable of so much more. He knew that he was the one who should go and lead his people out of captivity. He was the one person who could make this possible. God didn't want to send someone else. God knew he was the right man for the job. And he was ready to equip him to do it. God knew who Moses really was. And he knew who the Israelites really were too. Moses was a leader and the Israelites were a light to the nations. So God made Moses' calling very, very clear. He gave him a detailed account of where he was to go, what he was to do, and how he was to do it, which was with God's help and with others, Aaron, Aaron, his brother. And we know, of course, that Moses did go and he eventually led the Israelites out of Egypt. He followed God's call in his life and God used him to do mighty things. God had spoken so clearly to Moses through the burning bush And the thing is that God gives us our own burning bushes. Not literally, of course, but I believe that he could speak to us through a burning bush if he wanted to. 
But it's more common for God to speak to us through different things like a friend, through prayer times, through Bible readings, through the circumstances of our everyday lives. But God does speak to us through modern burning bushes. So my question is this. What is it that God is calling you to do? Or if not yet, what do you think God might be preparing for you in the future? Ethicist Andy Fleming at Emory Centre for Ethics suggests that you could ask yourself three questions. What do I like to do? What am I good at? And what needs to be done in the world? And where those questions overlap is what Fleming calls your sweet spot. The place where you and I are meant to be and the place where we're meant to live out our calling to the fullest. God spoke to Moses face to face. He had a plan and a purpose for him. And he's got a plan and a purpose for us. So my other question is this. What keeps us from following God's call? What excuses do we give? So often we allow other people to influence the things we do or say. So often we allow the wrong people to guide us when it's actually just God that we should be listening to. John Kenneth Galbraith, in his autobiography, A Life in Our Times, illustrates the devotion of Emily Gloria Wilson, his family's housekeeper. He says it had been a wearying day, and I asked Emily to hold all telephone calls while I had a nap. Shortly thereafter, the phone rang. Lyndon Johnson was calling from the White House. Get me Ken Galbraith. This is Lyndon Johnson. He's sleeping, Mr. President. He said not to disturb him said the housekeeper. Well, wake him up, I want to talk to him. No, Mr President, she said, I work for him, not for you. And when he called the president back, he could scarcely control his pleasure. Tell that woman I want her here in the White House. You see, when we remember that it is God who calls us and enables us and gives us the right to do what he has called us to do, then it's a bit easier to follow his call in our lives. Essentially, it's God who we work for. So those negative views of ourselves that we have, like Moses had, that can often be caused by the way other people treat us, well, we shouldn't pay any attention to them because it's God who is in charge. Sometimes God's call on, call on our lives is a choice between the difference of what's good and what's best. And well, God knows what's best, so surely we should follow God's best for our lives, whatever that means. None of us here are too old or too young or too anything because God can and will use people who are willing to follow him wherever he leads and answer God's call when he speaks through our modern day burning bushes. And it's important to remember too that God calls us to all sorts of things. It could be something radical that means a massive change in lifestyle or it could mean continuing to be faithful where we're already serving him. It's really important to remember that God has planted us in certain places and told us to be a good accountant or a good teacher or a good shop worker, a good mother, a good father, a good whatever it is we do. God expects us to be faithful where he's already put us and where he's already called us to be. And the most important thing, if you remember just one thing this morning, the most important thing we can learn from Moses is that everything we need in order to follow God's call on our lives is God himself. God promised to be with Moses, and he promises to always be with us too. Amen.
Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you that you are a God who knows us inside out and back to front. We know that you are a God who cares for every single one of us. And we ask that wherever you lead us, you will give us the confidence and the resources that we need. But Lord, most of all, help us to grow closer to you. Amen.